coming up on Better Place Project. He knew that whatever was in that box, it was the last thing that Steve Jobs wanted everybody at the funeral to think about. And the box contained a copy of this book, Autobiography of a Yogi. And this is a spiritual book that inspired Jobs throughout his entire life. The book was first published way back in 1946. And it's all about self-realization and the practice of Kriya Yoga meditation and so many other things that I'm going to talk to you about today. And according to Walter Isaacson's biography, Jobs first read it as a teenager. And then he reread it in India and pretty much read it once a year ever since. And in 1974, Steve Jobs went to India just seeking spiritual enlightenment. And he had this realization that his intuition was his greatest gift. And from that point on, he started to look at the world from the inside out. Make the world a better place. Make the world a better place. Hey, hey, I'm Steve Norris. Welcome to Better Place Project, where each week we shine a light on amazing humans from every corner of the planet who are doing extraordinary things to help make the world a better place, including sharing their knowledge with us on how we can be living healthier, happier, more purposeful lives. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 174. This week, I'm going to talk about a book I've recently read, and I had been wanting to read this book for years, and I finally put it in my queue, ordered it, and read it. And it's the famous book called Autobiography of a Yogi by the one and only Paramahansa Yogananda. Now, Yogananda lived from 1893 to 1952. And just to give you a little background on this book, Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, was so inspired by this book that he gave out hundreds of copies of it at his funeral. In fact, in a video that I found online from September of 2013, the CEO of Salesforce, Mark Benioff, talked about this, and he told the story of attending the memorial service after Jobs had died, and all the attendees on their way out were handed a small brown box, and he thought, this is going to be good. He knew that whatever was in that box, it was the last thing that Steve Jobs wanted everybody at the funeral to think about. And the box contained a copy of this book, Autobiography of a Yogi. And this is a spiritual book that inspired Jobs throughout his entire life. The book was first published way back in 1946. And it's all about self-realization and the practice of Kriya Yoga meditation and so many other things that I'm going to talk to you about today. And according to Walter Isaacson's biography, Jobs first read it as a teenager, and then he reread it in India and pretty much read it once a year ever since. And in 1974, Steve Jobs went to India just seeking spiritual enlightenment. And he had this realization that his intuition was his greatest gift. And from that point on, he started to look at the world from the inside out. Now, I'm going to read an excerpt from the back cover of the book, and it says, quote, Named one of the 100 best spiritual books of the 20th century 
Paramahansa Yogananda's remarkable life story takes you on an unforgettable exploration of the world of saints and yogis, science and miracles, death and resurrection. With soul-satisfying wisdom and endearing wit, he illuminates the deepest secrets of life and the universe opening our hearts and minds to the joy, beauty, and unlimited spiritual potentials that exist in the lives of every human being. I figured, I started to write about kind of a, a just one paragraph what this book meant to me, and I couldn't write anything so beautifully stated as what was actually on the back of the book, what I just read to you right there. Because not only was it just a beautiful read, and don't get me wrong, there are parts in it that it's a little sluggish right in the middle. There's a few things that uh, in, in the book that can be a little uh, dry and whatnot, but, but for the most part, it's just compelling storytelling that's written with humor and eloquence and just very surprisingly relatable and entertaining. I was thinking it's going to be this spiritual book, you know, hard to read from a guru, but no, it's he's funny, he's down to earth. So it wasn't about some woo-woo yogi hiding in a cave in the mountains. But as a side note, you'll learn in the book that that's actually what he wanted to do as a child, but that's not what he ended up doing. But this book is really about a person just like you and me who had an amazing life story to share. So today is my humble little attempt to share some little pearls of wisdom and top takeaways that I got from the book, which is just chock full of precious insights on different facets of the human experience. But again, what I love about this book is that Yogananda just does a masterful job of telling stories, but really convincing us of the power of our consciousness, the power of our mind the power of miracles. Now, if someone from 200 years ago was suddenly flash forwarded to the future to today and was told, hey, did you know that flying through the air all around us are these invisible waves that we can't see? But if we tune into these waves, we can suddenly hear someone speaking a thousand miles away, or we can hear music being played through this little you know, device. Well, the invention of the radio changed the world, and it opened our eyes to frequencies and vibrations, and that sound vibrations can be traveling all around us, and they're invisible to us. So if that's possible, why is it such a stretch for us to believe that we have the capability to communicate via our thoughts? Our thoughts have energy. We've talked a lot about that on this podcast, and that energy is sent across the universe. Imagine an evolved world where we, as for example, Gary Zukov would say, become multi-sensory beings and we no longer rely on just our five senses that most of us use now. So I'd like to dive right in now with one of my favorite parts of the book, and that's chapter 15, and it's called The Cauliflower Robbery. It's one of just in my opinion, one of the most beautiful stories in this book that gives us a hint into what we are capable of. And it goes like this, the cauliflower robbery. Master, a gift for you. These six huge cauliflowers were planted with my hands. I've watched over their growth with the tender care of a mother nursing her child. I presented the basket of vegetables with a ceremonial flourish. Thank you, Sri Yukteswar's, by the way, Sri Yukteswar is his main guru and mentor throughout his life. Thank you. 
Sri Yukteswar's smile was warm with appreciation. Please keep them in your room. I shall need them tomorrow for a special dinner. I just arrived in Puri to spend my college summer vacation with my guru at his seaside hermitage. Built by Master and his disciples, the cheerful little two-storied retreat fronts on the Bay of Bengal. I awoke early in the following morning, refreshed by the salty sea breezes and the quiet charm of the ashram. My guru's melodious voice was calling. I took a look at my cherished cauliflowers and stowed them neatly under my bed. Come, let us go to the beach. Master led the way. Several young disciples and I followed in a scattered group. Our guru surveyed us in mild criticism. When our Western brothers walk, they usually take pride in unison. Now, please march in two rows. Keep rhythmic step with one another. Sri Yukteswar watched as we obeyed. He began to sing. Boys go to and fro in a pretty little row. I could not but admire the ease with which Master was able to match the brisk pace of his young students. Halt! My guru's eyes sought mine. Did you remember to lock the back door of the hermitage? I think so, sir. Sri Yukteswar was silent for a few minutes, a half-suppressed smile on his lips. No, you forgot, he said finally. Divine contemplation must be made an excuse for material carelessness. You have neglected your duty in safeguarding the ashram. You must be punished. I thought he was obscurely joking when he added, Your six cauliflowers will soon be only five. We turned around at Master's orders and marched back until we were close to the hermitage. Rest a while. Makunda, look across the compound on our left. Observe the road beyond. A certain man will arrive there presently. He will be the means of your chastisement. I concealed my vexation at these incomprehensible remarks. A peasant soon appeared on the road. He was dancing grotesquely and flinging his arms about with meaningless gestures. Almost paralyzed with curiosity, I glued my eyes on the hilarious spectacle. As the man reached a point in the road where he would vanish from our view, Sri Yukteswar said, Now he will return. The peasant at once changed his direction and made for the rear of the ashram. Crossing a sandy track, he entered the building by the back door. I had left it unlocked, even as my guru had said. The man emerged shortly, holding one of my prized cauliflowers. He now strode along respectably, invested with the dignity of possession. The unfolding farce in which my role appeared to be that of bewildered victim was not so disconcerting that I failed an indignant pursuit of the thief. I was halfway to the road when Master called me back. He was shaking from head to foot with laughter. That poor crazy man has been longing for a cauliflower, he explained between outbursts of mirth. I thought it would be a good idea if he got one of yours, so ill-guarded. I dashed to my room where I found that the thief, evidently one with a vegetable fixation, had left untouched my gold rings, watch, and money all lying openly on the blanket. He had crawled instead under the bed where the basket of cauliflowers, completely hidden from casual sight, had yielded the object of his single-hearted desire. I asked Sri Yukteswar that evening to explain the incident, which had, I thought, a few baffling features. My guru shook his head slowly. You will understand it someday. Science will soon discover a number of these hidden laws. When the wonders of radio burst some years later on an astounded world, I remember Master's prediction. Age-old concepts of time and space were annihilated, no person's home so narrow that London or Calcutta 
could not enter the dullest intelligence enlarged before indispensable proof of one aspect of man's omnipresence. The plot of the cauliflower comedy may be best understood by a radio analogy. My guru was a perfect human radio. Thoughts are no more than very subtle vibrations moving in the ether. Just as correctly tuned radio picks up a desired musical number out of thousands of other programs from every direction, so Sri Yukteswar had been sensitively receptive to a certain pertinent thought that of the half-witted man who was hanging for a cauliflower out of the countless thoughts of broadcasting human minds in the world. During the walk toward the beach, no sooner had Master become aware of the peasant's simple yearning than he was willing to gratify it. Sri Yukteswar's divine eye had discovered the man dancing down the road before he had become visible to the disciples. My forgetfulness about locking the ashram door had given Master a convenient excuse to deprive me of one of my valued vegetables. And thus functioning as a receiving instrument, Sri Yukteswar then operated through his powerful will as a broadcaster or sending instrument. In that role, he had successfully directed the peasant to reverse his steps and go to a certain room for a single cauliflower. Intuition is soul guidance, appearing naturally in man during those instants where his mind is calm. Nearly everyone has had the experience of an inexplicably correct hunch or has transferred his thoughts accurately to another person. The human mind, freed from the disturbance or static of restlessness, is empowered to perform all the functions of complicated radio mechanisms, sending as well as receiving thoughts and tuning out undesirable ones. As the power of a radio broadcasting station is regulated by the amount of electrical current it can utilize, so the effectiveness of a human radio depends on the degree of willpower possessed by each person. All thoughts vibrate eternally in the cosmos. Now I should point out, this is probably one of the least powerful, we'll call it miracles, that he talks about in this book. Some of them are so far uh, beyond this. We're talking levitation. We're talking about his guru having the power to be two places at once. These are just a couple of examples that... They talk about in this book that what we are capable, we are so underutilizing the power of our mind and our consciousness. So what I would like to do now also is rather than go through and and read you a bunch of the more stories, I just wanted to hopefully pique your interest that you may want to pick up a copy of this book. This, This is one of those books that will remain close to me. I think for the rest of my life that I will continue to go back to, to re- reinforce, to hopefully read it once a year, like Steve Jobs did. But I wanted to spend a few moments to talk about some of my other takeaways from this book. And I'll just kind of go through them informally. One is just Yogananda's feelings on impermanence. And he says, quote, remember that you belong to no one and that no one belongs to you. Reflect that someday you will suddenly have to leave everything in this world. So make the acquaintance of God now. So this quote is actually from, not Yogananda, it's in the book, but uh, but it was actually one of his, the great saints that he celebrates in this book, Lahiri 
Mayasaya, who actually said this, and he was a big influence on Yogananda's life. And Yogananda, just throughout the book, constantly talks about the temporary nature of our human existence. And therefore, we need to stay focused on, quote, beholding oneself as the infinite essence, end quote. This reality is emphasized time and time again in the book. We tend to get stuck looking at ourselves within our own ego and assume we are just this bundle of flesh and bones. Thus, we forget oftentimes until we are laying on our deathbed and then impermanence by way of our own mortality is staring us down and looking at us in the face. So Yogananda kind of snaps us out of that thinking or that way of being and motivates us to go on a journey of freedom from every form of misery by adapting some of his very powerful teachings. Another thing I want to talk about is his search for truth. This is a relentless quest for a spiritual truth, and this is just a central theme in this book. He explores various paths and encounters quite a few spiritual teachers along his journey. And in his own words, quote, the power of unfulfilled desires is the root of all man's slavery. Man can free himself from all of life's suffering through his indomitable will. So these words just kind of remind us that true freedom doesn't come from something that's out there. True freedom comes from within. And the pursuit of truth is the key to liberation from the chains of desire. Another thing he certainly talks about is in this book extensively, and what I talk about extensively on this podcast is meditation. And in this case, particularly Kriya Yoga, which this is a powerful tool in his spiritual journey. And he explains that through the portal of Kriya, man's evolution is quickened the ancient yogic technique converts the breath into mind. So these teachings now emphasize that meditation really is a gateway to accelerated spiritual evolution and a direct connection to the infinite power of the mind. So that's what's so cool about this is, is that we don't have to go spend you know 30 years meditating 16 hours a day to have access to some of this wisdom. He teaches that it is there for all of us to go and grab and learn and acquire. And we do that by going to the calm that I mentioned a few moments ago, to going to the stillness. Another big takeaway that he talks about in this book is just the universality of spirituality. He teaches us to seek divine realization, not the dry, complex arguments of theologians. Now, Coming up in a Catholic upbringing, I went to a Catholic grade school and a Catholic, uh, also went to a Catholic church growing up. This part of the book really resonated with me because this kind of underscores the common thread that runs through all religions. The pursuit of divine realization and spiritual awakening, transcending the boundaries of dogmas and doctrines. Evidence of these boundaries is going on right now in the world. In fact, so many of our wars in human history are rooted in the aforementioned dry, complex arguments of theologians. Everyone has their own religion with their own Bible or Koran or Torah or what have you. And But at the end of the day, we all truly are one. We are the same. 
I know it's a cliche, but we literally are one and the same. The second humanity understands this as a whole is the very second we officially end the last war ever to take place on this earth. Now, Yogananda also talks a lot about the guru-disciple relationship, and this kind of resonated with me as well because I think it's important that we all seek out mentors, seek out gurus, seek out coaches that maybe have a little more understanding or are further along the line of their spiritual path or can help us learn how to meditate, uh, those types of things. So his deep respect and admiration for his gurus are just evident in throughout this book. And he eagerly sought the spiritual wisdom and guidance of his main guru, Sri Yukteswar, who I've spoken about already. Under Yukteswar's tutelage, Yogananda underwent a profound spiritual transformation. And this book highlights how these teachings and guidance played a pivotal role in his evolution. Yogananda talks about Kriya Yoga initiation that he received from his guru, spiritual discourse, just having someone to bounce ideas off of. He says, the words of the master are very clear, but the true understanding is something that cannot be expressed in words. So we are limited by our words, but the spiritual wisdom can basically enter into our consciousness and we feel it on a much deeper level that can even be explained in words. Gurus can bring us guidance and encouragement. The guru is the awakened soul who leads us to our own awakening. Another quote from the book. Another topic of the book that also really resonated with me is the illusion of material success. Yogananda's journey takes him from a life of complete material comfort. His family was well-to-do, and he lived a wonderful childhood with having everything he needed with servants and food prepared for him every day, to a life of simplicity and a spiritual pursuit. And I love a quote from the book where he says, success is not rightly measured by wealth, fame, or power. Success is measured by your discipline and inner peace. That, to me, um, may be the single most important part of the book and important part, well, I should say important realization that I have come to myself over the last 10 years and especially the last five years. I spent a lot of my 20s, 30s building companies and even early 40s um, trying to, you know, trying to achieve the success that society says success is making a big income, having the big house with a pool, having the fancy cars, having the material wealth. And as I've gotten older, I've realized just how meaningless all of that is when you don't have inner peace. So now more than ever, my mantra is I want to live a life in peace. I want to flow with the universe. I want to live in ease. And that's success for me to be happy and content with everything that I have and live a life of gratitude. Next, per chapter 15 that I read to you, he talks a lot in this book about the reality of miracles. He shares accounts of miracles, events from saints levitating, as I mentioned before. The reality is miracles are all around us. They're right there in front of us. In fact, he says the miracle of your existence calls for a celebration every day. 
So I'm not going to give away any more of the miracles in the book because I've already had a, a few spoilers in this uh, in this podcast already. But pick up a copy of the book and you'll be blown away by some of the other miracles that occurred in his life that are just mind-blowing. Next, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the journey of self-realization. The ultimate lesson in this autobiography is the path of self-realization. And I think he beautifully articulates this journey with the quote, the soul loves to meditate for in contact with the spirit lies its greatest joy. This statement really underscores the idea that the soul finds its greatest joy in meditation and communion with the divine, ultimately leading to self-realization. So if you've never meditated before going, I would like to end this conversation with the last couple lines from your book. Quote, small actions such as reaching out to someone of color and learning their story might not appear to do much to save the world. But for you and for the person you serve, you can have an enormous impact. And so today, do for one person what you wish you could do for everyone. I leave you with two important words. Do something. Terrence, been an honor and a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much. From the bottom of my heart, you'll always have a special place in the show. Come back anytime, please. Awesome. I will stop the recording and uh, and from the book. We are encouraged to embark on our own journey of self-discovery and spiritual growth. These lessons inspire us to seek truth, embrace meditation, recognize the universality of spirituality, honor the guru's disciple relationship, look beyond the illusion of material success, acknowledge the reality of miracles, and ultimately, walk the path of self-realization. In doing so, we can unlock our full potential, connect with the divine within ourselves, and experience a deeper sense of inner peace and enlightenment. And may I leave you with one last piece of advice from Yogananda. Live quietly in the moment and see the beauty of all before you. Special thanks to our producer, Noah Existe, and editor, Joe Tempogo. Our music was written and performed by Algian Importante. Thank you so much for listening. If this podcast brightened your day in any way, please share it with a friend who you think it might resonate with. Subscribe and leave us a rating and review, as that is the single best way to help the show and get the word out to more good humans. For behind-the-scenes info, please visit our website at betterplaceproject.org, where you can even click on the microphone in the lower right-hand corner and leave us a message or just stop by to say hi. And you can follow us on Instagram at betterplaceproj, and you'll find me at Instagram at Steve Norris Official. Look for small ways to be kind this week, and that will help make the world a better place. Make the world.